The following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity and was recorded at Westminster Chapel in Toronto. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ over every area of life, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. Our scripture reading this morning is from 2 Samuel 23, and we're going to read from verse 8 to the end. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Joshabashabeth, a Tachamanite. He was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. And next to him among the three mighty men was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the son of Ahoyai. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to his sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the men returned after him only to strip the slain. And next to him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the men fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines, And the Lord worked a great victory. And three of the thirty chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Now Abishai, the son of Joab, the son of Zariah, was chief of the thirty. And he wielded his spear against three hundred men and killed them and won a name beside the three. He was the most renowned of the thirty and became their commander. But he did not attain to the three. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kabzeel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two aerials of Moab. He went down and struck down a line in a pit on a day when the snow had fallen, and he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaiah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things did Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and won a name beside the three mighty men. He was renowned among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three. And David set him over his bodyguard. And Asahel, the brother of Joab, one of the thirty, Elhanah, the son of Dodo, of Bethlehem, Shammah of Herod, Elika of Herod, Helez, the Paltite, Ira, the son of Ikesh of Tekoa, Abizer of Anathoth, Mabani, the Hushathite, Zalman, the Ahoahite, Maharai of Netophah, Heleb, the son of Bana and of Netophah, Ittai, the son of Ribai of Gibeah, of the people of Benjamin, Benaiah of Pirathon, Hida of the brooks of Gash, Abi Alban, the Arbathite, Asmabeth of Bahurim, Eliaba the Shalbanite, the son of Jashan, Jonathan, Shammah the Hararite, 
Ahiam, the son of Sharar, the Harite, Eliphalet, the son of Abishah, of Ahashabai, of, Mac, of uh, Mekah, Elam, the son of Ahithophel, of Gilo, Hezro, of Carmel, Perai, the Arbite, Egel, the son of Nathan, Zobah, Bani, the Gadite, Zelek, the Ammonite, Naharai, the Beeroth, of Beeroth, the armor bearer of Joab, the son of Zariah, Ira, the Ithrite, Garab the Ithrite, Uriah the Hittite, 37 in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, my brothers and sisters. Let's pray before we consider God's word together. Father, as we have heard this list of mighty warriors and we've heard about their brave actions on the battlefield, We remember this morning that you have enlisted us into your service and that we are called to fight for you. And so I pray now that as we consider the testimony of these mighty warriors, that you would equip us for the battle. For we ask it in the name of the captain of our salvation, the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, 2 Samuel chapter 23 gives us this long list of David's mighty men, and it recounts for us some of their exploits on the battlefield, the way in which they exhibited great valor and bravery. Now, we live in a country, and we live in a time where we don't, we don't really know what it's like to fight in battle. We don't know that. That's not in our experience. Some of us are older and we remember those who went off to fight in war and some of us remember the stories that our grandparents told us about that time. But we haven't known that in our own experience. And so even though we can kind of relate to it because we've read books and we've watched movies, we we don't know exactly the intensity of being in the thick of the fight. And yet, we need to recognize that God's word in the New Testament uses the image of the soldier, uses the metaphor of the army to speak of our calling as believers. Now, for some of us, that's really inspiring. You know, we get really fired up, like, yes, I am a soldier in the army of Christ. I'm going to fight. For others, we feel uncomfortable with that. It bothers us. Nevertheless, the Apostle Paul in particular, he uses this image for us, each one of us as believers. We are soldiers, and our captain is Christ. We are called to fight for him. We're called to fight for the cause of Christ. Now, of course, we remember that the, the battle that we're fighting is spiritual. It's a spiritual conflict. It's spiritual warfare. And as we consider that, we need to think this morning about what it is that we are called to do as those who fight as those who have been enlisted into Christ's army. Now, kids, as you're listening to the sermon this morning, I want you to listen to what I say about fighting the good fight, fighting the good fight of the faith. So listen for that, fighting. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, he gives Timothy this image. So 1 Timothy 1, verses 18 and 19, Paul says to Timothy, wage the good warfare holding faith and a good conscience. And he says a little later on in 1 Timothy chapter 6, fight the good fight of the faith. 
Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And the Apostle Paul himself, at the end of his life, gave this testimony. It's Second Timothy 4. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And for the Apostle, this is what it means to fight the good fight. It means keeping the faith, and it means taking hold of eternal life. That's what it means to fight the good fight. Now, we are called to fight this good fight. We've been enlisted into the Lord's army. We're called to fight. And if we're a believer, we're called to keep the faith. We're called to take hold of the eternal life to which we've been called. Now, the fight is often intense. The fight is often difficult. It's hard. We can't shy away from that. One of the most inspiring biographies in church history is the biography of David Livingston. He was a missionary. He was from Scotland. And the Lord called him to be a missionary in Africa. And so he went to Africa. And he began in South Africa, but then he wanted to work his way north. Because he knew that in the heart of Africa, there were unreached peoples. People that hadn't heard the good news of Jesus. People that hadn't come under the blessings of the gospel. But it was hard to get to those people. So he saw his mission, his calling, to make a way. To make a way for others to come. So that they could follow him and and have a way to these unreached people groups. And it was hard for him. It was very hard. Trying to find a way to these unreached people groups. To bring them the gospel. And at one point in his life, some friends wrote to him. And they said this. We would like to send other men to you. Have you found a good road into your area yet? And Livingston wrote back. If you have men who will only come if they know there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there is no good road at all. And the men that are listed in this chapter of scripture in 2 Samuel 23 are men who were willing to press on, who were willing to fight even when there was no good road ahead of them. And notice that as we read this chapter... The individual efforts of these men were highlighted. And their individual names were listed and mentioned. And I know that as God's people, we, we serve together. We love and we support one another. That's true. Of course that's true. But we also find ourselves often alone on the battlefield. And notice that's what's highlighted about these men. Think of Eleazar, Shema. When the others retreated, when the men of Israel withdrew, they stood firm. They turned back. And they fought the enemy. And yes, I know we gather together here on Sunday mornings and we know the blessing of the fellowship that we have with one another. We encourage and support one another. And I hope that we see each other throughout the week to encourage one another, to, to support one another to charge one another. But I also know that many of you find yourselves alone at your workplace, alone in your school. Some of you are going back to university. You find yourself alone in your families. Maybe you're the only believer in your family. You're alone amongst your group of friends. There are times like Eleazar where we have to fight the fight 
and we fight the fight alone. Now, this account of David's mighty men gives us not only inspiration for the fight, but it instructs us. It teaches us how we fight the fight, how we keep the faith, even when we're alone. How we hold on to eternal life. And as we look at these accounts, I just want to highlight two stories that were given here. The first of Eleazar. And what we learn from Eleazar is that we need to hold fast to the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Eleazar, when the others withdrew, he, he fought the Philistines. He stood his ground until he was weary. And he could not let go of the sword. The sword clung to his hand. And if we're going to fight the good fight of the faith, we need to have a firm grip on the sword of the Spirit, on the Word of God. And then secondly, the account where those three men went to Bethlehem to get David that water from the well. And they brought it to him. And David, upon receiving it, poured it out. The reason he did that because, is because when he saw their loyalty, their bravery, their love, he recognized, I'm not worthy of such love. I'm not worthy of such service. This belongs to the Lord. And he poured out that water as an offering to the Lord. And he reminded those three men, we are fighting for him. And he's the one who will give us the victory. And so as we fight the good fight of the faith, we remember that we keep our eyes on Jesus. We serve him. We fight for him. He's the captain of our salvation. So first, holding fast, holding fast to the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. Let's hear again this account of Eleazar. And next to him among the three mighty men was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the son of Ahohai. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought a great victory that day and the men returned after him only to strip the slain. When all of the men of Israel retreated, they withdrew. He stood firm. Eleazar stood firm, and he fought. He fought until the sword clung to his hand. He couldn't let it go. Now, we have reports uh, from history, reports of battles where such soldiers fought with such intensity and such valor that they couldn't let go of their sword at the end of the battle. That's what happened to Eleazar. But it gives us a picture of our fight. We fight with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And if we're going to fight the good fight of the faith, we need to have a firm grip on the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. This is what Paul says in Philippians 2. There he exhorts the Philippians, hold fast to the Word of life. Hold fast to the Word of life. And we need to hear it in context. He says this. Philippians 2, verses 14 to 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, some of you are grumbling. Some of you are are disputing right now. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. That's where we live, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. That's the battlefield. And I know we look out and we look at the society around us and, and 
we're grieved by how crooked and twisted it is, but we shouldn't be surprised by that. We live in, a, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. That's the battlefield. Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Now, why is it that some of you are grumbling and disputing? It's because you're not holding fast to the word of life. How is it that we shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation? It's holding fast to the word of life. Hold fast to the sword of the Spirit. As believers, we have been enlisted into the army of Christ. And if you enlist in the army, it doesn't matter what position you will, you will take. You might be the cook. You might be, you know, a, an analyst, an intelligence officer working in a back room. Even so, you are trained to handle your rifle. Every soldier is trained to handle the rifle. So it is for every believer. We are all trained to pick up and handle, trained to handle the sword of the Spirit. And that means that we, we've got a firm hand on the sword, a firm grip on the word of God. Now, some of you have a loose grip on the word of God right now. Now, what happens if you're in battle and you've got a loose grip on your sword? What's going to happen? It's going to get knocked out of your hand. And if you've got a loose grip on the word of God, it's going to get knocked out of your hand. Now, some of you are going off to university, and you're going to find there's a battle there. And if you have a loose grip on God's word, it's going to get knocked out of your hand very quickly as you enter into that battle of academia. And you may be tempted, oh, there's these other swords I'm going to pick up. I'll set aside the word of God. There's another way of looking at things. I'll adopt that. And it may look like a very impressive, shiny sword. Yes, much more attractive than God's word. But it's actually just a paper cutout. Maybe it's a glossy picture of a nice, fancy sword. It is paper. And you will find that that is not the word of life. And you're going to die on the battlefield. So some of you have a loose grip on the word of God. Some of you have, have dropped the word of God altogether. Uh, all you're standing on the battlefield in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, empty-handed. You're not going to last long. Maybe you're fighting with your own weapons. Again, these are paper swords. You won't survive. It's not the word of life. So as soldiers in Christ's army, we take hold of the sword of the spirit. We take hold of the word of life, and we are trained to handle the sword. Now, how do we do that? How is it that we are trained to handle the word of God, trained to handle the sword? Well, one area where we can go in Scripture, where we have training for the, for the Word of God, training to handle the sword of the Spirit, is Psalm 119. It's a long psalm, the longest psalm in the Bible. But if you want training in how to handle the Word of God, go to that psalm, meditate upon that psalm, study it. That's the training ground. I remember as a kid, I, I, I grew up in the church. I've been a Christian my whole life. And I remember as a boy in Sunday school, we'd often do sword drills. Anybody know what that is? You take your Bible. It's the sword. So you'd have it there. You could cheat and kind of put your finger in like that. If you, but you, you shouldn't. You hold, everyone holds up their sword, and then someone yells out a reference. Psalm 119. And then you try to find it. And the first one to find it stands up, and you read. 
knowing how to handle the word of God, trained in the word of God. Well, that's what Psalm 19 gives us, training with the sword of the spirit. And as you read through that psalm, pay attention to how we handle God's word. And there the psalmist says, we meditate upon it. He repeats that again and again. Meditate on the word of God daily. It's not just reading it. It is studying it. Meditate upon the word of God. Consider his word. Delight in his word. Remember his word. Set your heart on his word. Hide his word in your heart. These are all different ways of saying you need to daily be in the scriptures. Meditate upon it. Consider it. Take it to heart. Memorize it. And as you do that, you find that even if you don't have your Bible with you, you always have the sword with you because you always have God's word with you. It's in your heart. It's in your hand. It's ready at hand. And then learning how to wield the sword, how to handle the sword. It's one thing to pick it up. but don't just stand there. You know, in the movies, you have these impressive sword fights, right? You know how to handle the sword. Well, the psalm answers that question too. Yes, we meditate upon it. We consider it. We take it to heart. But then... The psalmist also says, I consider my ways in the light of your word. I examine my own life in the light of your word. He says repeatedly, I live according to your precepts. I live according to your word. I hasten to obey it. I obey your word. That's what it means to to learn how to handle the word of God. We obey the word of God. We consider our ways, our life in the light of the word of God. And we find that as we are meditating upon it and as we are keeping it, it is shaping us. It's taking a hold of us. It's like Eliezer. We can't lose our grip on it. We can't let it go. And sometimes when we talk about the Bible, we think, okay, I need to read it and and think about how does this apply to my life? You know, what is the lesson for me today? But what you will find, and this is how it should go, as you're studying the word of God, it's not the word of God that's getting applied to your life. It's you who are being applied to the word. Your life is changing. Your life is being shaped according to it. And you find, I'm not the one holding on to it. It's taken a hold of me. I've got it now. And as you, as you grow in the word, you find that you trust in the word. This is what the psalmist says also. I trust in your word. I hope in your word. I receive comfort for your word. I am strengthened by your word. As we're fighting the good fight of the faith, we find we're we're given the strength that we need to fight the battle. And the psalmist says the reason why we have such hope, such trust, such comfort, such strength is because in the word we find our Lord. And we know his presence. And we know his unfailing love. And that's what gives us the strength for the battle, because we know it's not just the word of God that has a hold of us, it is our Lord. He's with us. And yes, Eliezer fought valiantly that day, but notice what the text tells us. The Lord brought the victory. The Lord gave the victory. And we find that we know the victory of Christ. So if we're to fight the good fight of the faith, we need a firm grip on God's word. We need to be trained in handling the word of God, the sword of the Spirit. But secondly, we need to keep our eyes fixed on our captain, the captain of our salvation, on the Lord Jesus. And this brings me to the second text I want to highlight. The account of David's men who brought him water from the well in Bethlehem. 
So let me read it for us, verses 13 to 17. And three of the 30 chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was with them in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew out the well of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it, drew water, sorry, and carried and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. He, he recognized that in this loyal act of service to him, they had laid down their own lives. And he recognized, I'm not worthy of such service. This service belongs to the Lord. And he reminded those three men that your service is for the Lord. It's not for me. You don't serve man, you serve him, you serve the Lord. And that's why he poured out the water to the Lord, it belonged to him. And David was reminding his men that, yes, I'm, I'm the captain over you, I'm leading you into battle. But the battle belongs to the Lord. We serve him, we fight for him. And it could be that even David himself had lost sight of that until he saw the love and loyalty of his men. And the witness of that love and loyalty turned him back to the Lord. And we need to remember that as we're fighting the good fight of the faith, we remember the captain of our salvation. We remember the Lord whom we serve. And here there's a warning because you can be all about the Bible, learning the Bible, wanting to know the Bible. Yes, you know, you might think of yourself, I've got a firm grip on the sword of the Spirit. I study scripture all the time. I'm reading commentaries. I'm reading these articles. I can parse these these. These verbs, I can get through all the syntax of the sentence. I know the historical context. You know the Bible. You're holding fast to the word of God. But you lose sight of the fact that the only reason Scripture is the word of life is because it points us to Christ. Remember what Jesus said to the Jews and the Pharisees who opposed him. He said, yes, you've got Moses. You study Moses. You know Moses. You're experts in the law. But actually, you haven't heard him because he spoke of me, and you've rejected me. You don't believe in me. And if we are not keeping our eyes fixed on Christ, and if we lose sight of the fact that we fight for him, then the word of God becomes a dead letter to us. It becomes like a, stone, a, a sword of stone. It's really heavy. And in the battle, we find it cracks, it crumbles. So some of you may be, you're you're diligent, you take up the scriptures. But this is the word of life, and this word is living and active, because in it, the Spirit of God speaks and points us to Christ, and we hear the voice of our good shepherd. He's the resurrection of life. He gives us life. That's why this is the word of life. And so we need to remember, as the author of Hebrews exhorts us, to keep our eyes firmly fixed on Christ. Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. 
Yes, as we study and abide and obey the word of God, it takes a hold of us. It clings closely. But the same is true also of sin. Sin can, sing, uh, can cling closely to us. The other day I was out for a walk. I was on the phone. Actually, I was talking to you, Joe, and I didn't even mention this, but I'm kind of a tactile person. I'm always touching, you know, the, the bushes and, you know, a stone wall as I'm walking by. And I was running my hand through a bush as I was walking by, and a, a leaf came off in my hand, and I kind of had it. But it felt a little squishy, and I looked at it, and I had this caterpillar in my hand. <laughs> it kind of startled me and threw me away. Uh, I had to throw it away. But sometimes sin is like that. All of a sudden, we're like, whoa, what did I just do? How did that happen? But we don't throw it away. You know, maybe a little caterpillar, but soon it's, you know, it's become, you know, a little garter snake that's kind of wrapping itself around our arm. And then it becomes a python. And it is wrapping itself around our torso and around our neck. It clings closely. And if we don't do as the author of Hebrews says, lay it aside, it's going to grab a hold of us. It's going to start to squeeze. It's going to kill us. And so we're reminded, yes, the word of God takes a hold of us. So does sin. And some of you have been, you know, you're letting that little gutter stick wrap itself around your arm. That's going to turn into a python. It's going to squeeze the life out of you. At that point, you're not going to be like, oh, I'll just get rid of this python. Remember what we heard in the opening hymn. He breaks the power of canceled sin. Turn to the Lord Jesus. How is it that we lay aside the sin that, that clings so closely? We turn to him. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He cuts the serpent. He crushes its head. So he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking to Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the captain of our faith. The Apostle Paul says this about his life of keeping the faith. And he says this to Timothy. You're to wage the good warfare. You're to fight the good fight of the faith. And he says, no soldier, this is 2 Timothy 2, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Let's remember that. As we fight the good fight of the faith, our aim is to please the one who enlisted us. We serve him, the Lord Jesus. Now ask yourself this morning, who are you trying to please? And oftentimes we find that we are seeking to please other people. We're seeking to please ourselves. We get caught up in civilian pursuits. Paul says our aim is to please the one who enlisted us. And let's remember the one who enlisted us as we look to him. Let's remember who he is. He is loyal of our service. We serve at his pleasure, but he's worthy He is the word of God. He's the wisdom of God. All things were made through him and for him. In him, all things hold together. He is the son of God. He's the son of man. He is the radiance of God's glory. As we heard from Psalm 24, he's the king of glory. He's the Lord of glory. 
And he's the son of man. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the prince of peace. He's almighty God. He's wonderful counselor. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He's the one mediator between God and man. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the bright morning star. He's the light of the world. He's the word of life. He's the bread of life. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is faithful and true. He's the son of righteousness who is risen with healing in his wings. He's the judge of the living and the dead. He's our heavenly bridegroom. He is the head of the church. He's the chief cornerstone. He's our savior. He's our redeemer. He's our liberator. He's our Lord. He's our king. He's our joy. He's our peace. He's our hope. He is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. Yes, we are fighting the good fight of the faith. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's our advocate in heaven. He's our great high priest. He's the captain of our salvation. I don't know what lies ahead for us in the fall. We don't know that. We don't know if it's a good road. But remember the one who enlisted us. We fight for him. And he is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The Lord gave Eleazar the victory that day. And he fought till the the sword clung to his hand because he knew the Lord was with him. And yes, the Apostle Paul could say at the end of his life, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. He could say that. But the reason he could say that is because of what he says later in that same chapter. He's recounting his own experience. And he says, at my first defense, when I was arrested and put on trial, and I was standing there before the Roman governor, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me. I was alone. Everyone deserted me. Then he says this, may it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The reason Paul could say at the end of his life, I fought the good fight, I've kept the faith, is because he knew that the Lord stood by him. And the Lord strengthened him. And whatever lies ahead of us in these coming months, and whatever lies ahead of you this week, in those moments where you find yourself alone, you're not alone. The Lord stands by you. The Lord strengthens you for the battle. So yes, we keep a firm grip on the sword of the Spirit, a firm grip on God's word. We meditate upon it. We consider it. We apply our lives to it. But as we do that, we will come to hope and trust in that word because in it we know the presence of our captain, our Lord, who's with us, who strengthens us for the battle. And remember what David prayed in that psalm, Psalm 23. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. We know he's with us in the battle. We know he strengthens us for the battle because he prepares a table for us in the presence of his enemies. Whatever's happened this week for you, Whatever you're looking forward to this week, 
As you face your enemies, know the Lord has prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And when we come to this table, we know that the captain of our salvation, the bread of life, is with us. And in this meal, we know his presence, and we are nourished for the battle. We are strengthened for the battle. So let's come to this table now with our hearts fixed on Christ, looking to him. And as we receive this bread and as we receive this cup, we're reminded that he's with us, and the battle belongs to him. And we say, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's come to the table. This message has been brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share this content, but do not charge for it or alter it in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. For more resources, please visit ezrainstitute.ca.